Welcome back to another edition of Touring the AFC South. Of course, we are not talking football very much in the month of March. What we are talking is Black Women and Women's History Month. This is what I've done for, this is what, the second year in a row that I've done this. And I'll, as long as the show will be around, I, this is probably what I'm going to do every single March. Got to show love to Black women. But uh, as you can see, or those that are watching, you can see that I have a special guest, and some may have seen her across social media in the last, what, couple weeks or so? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have with me uh, Miss uh, T- Tamaya Potter, yes. correct? Yes. Yes. All right. Now, I did catch that uh, when uh, I saw the uh, the video, so I was like, hold on, let me make sure I pronounce <laughs> her name correctly. <laughs> I really appreciate that, because everyone calls me Tamia, so I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, I know I don't like my name mispronounced, even though it, it's kind of hard, but hey, it is what it is. But I uh, uh, wanted to uh, thank you for coming on with me. Uh, of course, we're going to get into your story, kind of to where you are now. Uh, mm-hmm. But up first, uh, like I've done all month uh, for Women's History Month, going to get into a history, the history that was made from a black woman. And uh, this episode will be Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Now, Rebecca Lee, Lee Crumpler was born February 8, 1931 in Christiana, Delaware. Um, she was raised in Pennsylvania by her aunt, who acted as her a doctor in the community and had a huge influence on her. Uh, of course, in 1852, she moved to Charleston, Massachusetts, uh, and she worked as a nurse there starting in, what, 18, uh, well, worked as a nurse there before applying and becoming, uh, and being accepted uh into uh, New England, uh, New England Female Medical College. She was the only African-American woman who attended the school at this time. And of course, you know, she went through some things. Of course, this was 1800s. Right. Let's let's right. all remember that. Of course, she was given a recommendation to attend the school uh, by uh, the actual supervising physician uh, when she was at a medical apprentice. So that's how she got into the school. Um, she graduated from New England Female Medical College in 1864. Uh, and March 1st, 1864, the Board of Trustees named her a Doctor of Medicine. And with that, she became the country's first African-American woman to become a formally trained physician. So a little bit of history there. Of course, she worked in Boston, uh, providing care to uh, poor Black African-Americans. And children uh, provided care to uh, freed slaves who were denied care by white physicians as well. And uh, of course, she was uh, kind of had a tough time filling prescriptions uh, and everything as well, which, you know, of course, that's, you know, during that time, you would kind of expect, unfortunately. Um, she ended up uh, at one point moving to a predominantly uh, black neighborhood in uh, Beacon Hill. Uh, treating children without much concern of being paid, actually. So she basically just did it because she felt it was the right thing to do. Um, of course, she would do a lot of those different things. That was just what her her mission was and her life's work was. Um, eventually, uh, unfortunately, she would uh, pass in, uh, in, 19, in 1895. And actually, they didn't have any kind of, kind of burial headstone or anything like that for them, for her and her help. Um, basically in July 16, 2020, they had granite headstones donated. So now you can actually officially recognize her and her husband where they passed away, which, you know, is interesting that it took that long, almost, uh, it's over a century 
a century yeah. what almost a century and almost uh what 25 years that's crazy yeah, yeah. now did you know about rebecca lee crumpler before i mentioned her on the show no i did not i did not know about her yeah. That's amazing, though. That's a very amazing story. I can only imagine what she went through to get to that point. I could really only imagine. Right. You know, you can only imagine the amount of racism, the amount of discrimination, the amount of all the different things she had combined to deal with. Yet she kept going. Yet she kept uh, giving and she kept uh, her mission uh, definitely as a point of mind. So that's uh, our uh, Black history, uh, women's history, uh, kind of person to, to recognize, Rebecca Lee Crumpler. Now, getting on to today's show with Ms. Tamaya Potter. You didn't necessarily grow up in Massachusetts or Pennsylvania, but you did no. grow up in Tallahassee, Florida. Yes, so I did. I've, I've got to ask, how was it growing up there? You know, you got Florida A&M, you got, mm -hmm. uh, you got Florida State right there. So how was it growing up in Tallahassee, Florida? It was actually amazing. I mean, I like being a small town girl. I like being in a place where you don't really have to lock your doors or worry about who's next to you. So I really loved it. You know, it was a big enough community where you had enough to do, but it was small enough to where you still felt like everyone was family. Okay. All right. So kind of a little bit of the cheers feel where everybody knows your name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely like that. <laughs> Okay. All right. Sounds like fun. So what did you uh, do in terms of growing up? Did you like play sports? Were you kind of involved in a few things or were you just uh, kind of focused on the, uh, the medical field or thinking about the medical field that early? So I've always been a nerd. So I was always reading <laughs> books, but I did play sports. So throughout high school and middle school, I did volleyball. So I did track and I did weightlifting as well. Ah, volleyball, track, and weightlifting. Okay, I thought you might through basketball. I said you did a crossover, and and then no, I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that coordinated. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What did you run in track? If you don't mind me asking. I ran the 100, the four by one, and the four by two. Okay, so so pretty fast, basically. I was pretty fast until I got to like state, and then those girls were really fast. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I tried. Gotcha. All right. All right. So, you know, I always ask my um, guests this, you know, when they kind of are a, a star in the field, I ask them what, you know, when, you know, what did they actually originally think of, of wanting to do? I know some, some people originally wanted to be what they wanted to be and you may be, be that as well, but mm -hmm. what did you originally want to be growing up? I think in the beginning, I wanted to be a teacher because I really loved all my teachers. I was like, oh, I can't wait to grow up and be just like them. And then as I got older and older, I realized like, oh, wait, this would be an amazing job because then you get the summers off because teachers get summer break. And then as I got older and older, I realized that, you know what, I think I want to be challenged more. And I still love educating. I still love teaching and mentoring people. But at the same time, I want to do more with it as well. And so around, I would have to say, middle school, fifth grade is where I really started to get into medicine and the sciences. And I said, okay, I think I want to do something more with this. And that's whenever I started thinking about surgery. Okay. All right. Uh, now, surgery. Wow. Man. That's something uh, a lot of people kind of run away from. So how did you kind of break down to anyone that was interested that you wanted to do surgery, especially the type of surgery that, that we're talking about, you know, the, uh, spinal and things like that. 
I think it came down to just me being a curious person. And one of the things that always stood out to me was the way we think and the way we move. And so one of the things that I was really interested in is how are we doing what we're doing in the moment at the time and processing it at the same time. And that's when I really got interested in the brain because at this point in time, I can tell you what centers we're using to speak and to understand language and what happens if they go wrong or if a tumor grows in there. And that's really what put me on the side of brain surgery necessarily, neurosurgery and spine surgery is understanding that this is one of the most important parts of the body. This is kind of what makes us who we are. And so if you have the ability to restore that in someone or even increase a deficit that they have, that's what made me interested in neurosurgery. The actual the surgical technique part of it, I think what I was telling people is that whenever you're in a case and whenever you're operating, every step you make is like a mini puzzle. So you, you from the incision you make to planning on, okay, how do you want to approach the patient? I think all those things in itself was interesting to me. And I love puzzles. I love problem solving. And it just seemed like it was the perfect fit. Okay. All right. Well, we're going to get a little bit more into uh, everything that you're involved in, the surgeries, mm-hmm. you know, breaking it down. Yeah. But of course, first we have to talk about Florida A&M was where you went to college, but we're going to get yeah. to that right after this commercial break. We'll be right back with touring the ASC South with your host, Mike Patton. Whether it's local or long distance, Milligan Logistics has you covered. Milligan Logistics was established in 2020 with over a combined 15 years of experience in trucking, hauling, and logistics, along with over 50 years collectively of project management experience. Again, whether it's near or far, Milligan Logistics has you covered with quality service, efficiency while taking pleasure in exceeding clients' expectations. Need goods moved short or long distance? Milligan Logistics has you covered. Just reach out to them at 615-354-2618. That's 615-354-2618. Or you can send them an email at milliganlogistics at gmail.com. Again, that's milliganlogistics at gmail.com. All right, and we're back. Now, before the break, I mentioned Florida A&M, or FAMU, as people know it. That's where you ended up going to college. So um, being that you were in Tallahassee, was it just a slam dunk that you were going to go to Florida A&M, or was it more that went into that process? It's actually a family tradition. So my mom went to FAM, and my dad went to FAM, and my grandparents went to FAM. And also all my siblings and a lot of my um, extended family. So a lot of my cousins and my uncles and my aunts went to FAMU. So it was kind of like you kind of just have to finish the family tradition and just go to FAMU. Okay. All right. So, um, but I have to ask, you probably were tempted by some other schools, correct? Oh, yeah. University of Florida, <laughs> University of Miami, University of South Florida, I really wanted to see more of Florida, but at the same time, FAMU has also offered me a full tuition scholarship, so I couldn't turn that down. Yeah, you definitely can't turn down the money. Right. Especially <laughs> the tradition, you know, it's money, tradition, you, you really can't turn that down. So let's uh, go on now. You get on campus, Florida A&M. How do you kind of approach campus being a freshman, how was the what was the feel as a freshman on campus at Florida a I would say freedom. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I have a military father, so I have a really strict dad. So just finally being able to just 
get out, be free, do what I want, but also just being able to connect with other people. So, you know, I did grow up in Tallahassee, but a little town outside of Tallahassee is called Wakulla County. And that's where I went to elementary school, middle school, and high school. And so it was predominantly multiple white institutions. So it was a big, honestly, a culture shock to be in a place where 99% of the population was African-American. And so I was being in classrooms with peers that looked like me. And I also was being taught by people that looked like me. So it was really amazing. I loved it. Good, good. Sounds like, man, you know, honestly, I did at one point. I actually wanted to attend the HBCU, VCU, uh, and I grew up in Nashville. So you can kind of put two and two, probably the HBCU yeah. I wanted to go to. But mm-hmm. um, it just didn't happen, didn't connect, mm-hmm. and ended up going somewhere else. But, you know, of course, you know, like you mentioned, you know, scholarship, things like that, you know, it, mm-hmm. it makes kind of makes some of your choice for you. But, right. You know. <laughs> So I can only imagine the experience mm-hmm. there, but um, I have to, to ask, how did being at FAM you kind of develop who you are? I would have to say develop who I am because it taught me how to push. One of the things that FAMU really teaches you is that if you want something, the answer is not no until you're told no. And so you learn how to network, you learn how to go after what you want, you learn how to get in contact with people, you learn how to figure out how to put the trajectory for the plan that you want together. And so a lot of the things that FAMU taught is how to interview and how to make sure you're presenting yourself correctly and properly whenever you're going on national stages or whenever you're talking or speaking. And so that's kind of how I use my network to get research opportunities in between, you know, my second and third year of college and also my third and fourth year of college. And just being in, you know, a lot of different clubs, a lot of different a lot of different activities, being able to, you know, pledge the Beta Alpha chapter of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, you know, just having those connections and learning how to put yourself out there is really what FAMU taught me. Okay. All right. So, of course, we get where, where FAMU, but of course, you know, to be a, a doctor, you can't just stop at just the four-year degree. You got to right. go further. Right, so, right, right. Case Western Reserve University of Medicine. Now, I have to admit, I have never heard of that until I actually looked it up. <laughs> I but, was the same way. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I'm like, uh, did you like, how did you find this university? It was a very interesting but simple way, actually. So at the time, like I said, I was doing summer internships in between each summer of college. And so between my junior year and my senior year of college, I ended up doing a summer internship at Baylor College of Medicine. It's called their SMART program. And so in their program, I had a mentor. His name was Jay Patel. And he helped me get my MCAT together, my MCAS application, you know, everything that you need to apply to medical school. And so I told him, I was just thinking, okay, I'm going to stay in Florida. I'm going to go to like the University of Florida or something. He's like, no, you should think big. And so he was like, what do you want to do? And I was like, neurosurgery. He's like, I know just the school for that. And so he was like, you should go to Case Western Reserve. And when he first told me that, I was like, is this a military school? My dad's in the military. I don't want any more military. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. And then he was like, no, 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 no. He was like, it's a private school at Case. They're really good at cranking out neurosurgeons. You should definitely go. And so I applied. I interviewed and I got in and it was really that simple. Just him telling me to go there. Okay. All right. So how was the transition from Florida to Cleveland? How was <laughs> It was rough. You know, I don't really have a lot of immediate family past like the Georgia, Alabama area. And I had only been to the Northern United States at that time. Only once I went to Boston for a summer internship. So I had never really been in the Midwest and understanding what that was like. I had never seen snow. And I remember when I first got the case and the winter hit and it started snowing. 
I sent like a picture of my car covered in snow to my dean. I was like, okay, so we don't have class today because I don't know how to, I don't know how to drive in this. I don't know what to do. Like what is snow, you know? And so it was really, I would have to say it was really hard at first. You know, the people are different. The culture is different. People up here don't say yes, ma'am, you know, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir. It's really different. And so it was, it was a hard adjustment at first because like I said, Tallahassee is pretty small. And Wakulla County is even smaller. So being in a city where things are much bigger, you have more traffic, there's just more people. I had to get used to it, you know, because I'm I'm used to a place to where, you know, you got an acre in between each person. But up here, all the houses are kind of like stacked together. So, you know, it would be very weird for me to just hear people like walking outside my house. And I'm like, that's strange. But I have to remember, oh, wait, your house is on a sidewalk, <laughs> you know, and you're <laughs> in the city. So it, it was a big adjustment. Well, I will say the the place that you're uh, getting ready to head, it's it's definitely changing a little bit, kind of towards where you are now. Which we'll, you'll find you'll see that when you get here. I'll, I'll, okay. I'll give it a <laughs> um, but of course, you know, I I, I did want to talk about the school because of course uh, I saw the video of the actual moment. Yes. Match day. Can you take us to match day now? For those that aren't aware what match day is, basically is. Uh, a day where the uh, National Resident Matching Program releases uh, the eagerly awaiting results of all the applicants who have applied for residency or fellowship and training positions in the United States. So what was your feeling going into that day? I was literally so nervous because when I tell you, you don't know what you're going to get when you open that letter, it could say Alaska, it could say middle of nowhere, it could say California, you just never know. And so, you know, it's really like a dance, you know, do you like the program as much as they like you? And if you do, it's a match, you know? And so going in there, I, that's why I couldn't open it. And I had to let my profile open it because I was just like, I can't, like, I will freak out, <laughs> you know? And so... Whenever she opened that letter and whenever she said Vanderbilt, I promise you, it felt like just a wave of relief, just things coming off my shoulder because, you know, the application cycle, the, the process itself is a very long, strenuous cycle. You know, you really start May of the previous year doing rotations and, and getting your letters of recommendation together and interviewing for four months. And during this time, you have no idea who likes you or where you're going to end up or, or what even is going to be the outcome. And so to finally get to the end and in the back of my mind, I knew I was like, I want Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt's my number one pick. And to know that they liked me as much as I liked them, it just felt so amazing. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, the emotion of the moment I was watching, that, I was like, man, I mean, I felt like I wanted to like cheer myself over here when I was watching it. <laughs> Um, but you know, I have to ask, um, you know, you said, talked about the emotions that came over you. You said, uh, relief. Were there any other emotions that kind of came over you when you got that information? Yeah, I was just, it just felt like disbelief at the same time, because it's like, I did it. You know, a lot of people don't realize what goes into this process. And it's not just, oh, you're in medical school. You know, whenever you're in high school, you have to be competitive enough to get into a good college. And when you're in college, you have to be competitive enough to get into a good med school. And so your entire, you know, educational career, you are fighting to be the best that you can, either in your class and your cohort. And to know that it has finally paid off. It's like job well done. You've done it. I was just in disbelief that we've made it to this point because when I got into case, you know, my first day, I said, okay, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. 
You don't know how you're going to get there. You don't know what you're going to have to do. You don't know what type of trials and tribulations you're going to go through. But to know that I got to the end and I've done it and not just doing it, but I did it well was something that just made me feel so good. Now, you are going to be your your history, by the way. You are black history, by the way. Thank you. You, you, you want to go ahead and recognize that. Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, um, it still hits me every now <laughs> and then. I'm like, oh, wait, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask, as it as it kind of sunk in that you're going to be the first black woman neurosurgery resident in Vanderbilt's 148 year history. I think it'll really sink in once I get there. But I do have moments where, like, I'll wake up in the morning and something feels different. And I'm like, what's different? I'm like, oh, wait, I did something amazing, you know, because you're just so used to being in this routine. You're so used to working. You're so used to grinding to just try to get to the next step. But when you've accomplished the next step, it's like, okay, what's next? And you're just so used to going through those motions instead of just sitting in this, enjoying the moment and realizing how amazing this moment is and how blessed I am to have this opportunity. So I think it'll really set in once I get down there, but I still have those moments where I start tearing up and I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm actually in neurosurgery. Oh my goodness, I'm going to my number one. Oh my goodness, I made history, you know? So. Mm -hmm. Now, have you started calling yourself doctor? Tamaya Potter yet, <laughs> or is it still Tamaya Potter? It I mean, still I put out, Potter. I, yeah, I was I was just trying to make sure because you know I know people when they saw I, I was bringing you on my show, they probably were like, "Why did not put Doctor in front of her name?" You know, they probably it's, were yeah, it's just technicalities. But I tell you this: on Sunday, May twenty first, two thousand and twenty three, at eleven a.m., I will be Doctor Potter. Okay. All right. Well, there you have it. That answers questions that anyone has. But um, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but there are only 33 Black women in total in neurosurgical, uh, especially in the United States, according to data provided by the American Society of Black Neurosurgeons. Um, what advice would you give to anyone that wants to kind of uh, get into the medical field, especially uh, being a neurosurgeon? I would first definitely tell them that they'd have to remember that the journey that they take to get into this field is going to be very distinct and, and distinct to them because everybody has a different way of doing this, but it doesn't mean that your way is wrong. And you may take longer than someone else. You may have certain failures. You may have certain setbacks, but it doesn't mean that you're not qualified to do this. And so that's one of the things that was really hard for me whenever I was going through the process is that you don't know what goes on behind the scenes of other people and how they get to the point to where they get. You know, all you can see is what's in front of you and you can only control the things that you can control. And so it does no good to focus, okay, this person has this many publications. I don't have that many. Am I going to match? What am I going to do? You can control what you have in front of you. And also that this is a journey that the reward becomes much later. And, and you have to ask yourself, what is the reward that you're looking for? You know, a lot of people think, okay, you're going to be a neurosurgeon, you're making millions of dollars. Okay, sure, but that'll probably be when I'm 40 years old and I'm 26, you know, so what's more important to me is making sure that I'm learning, that I'm educating people around me, that I'm inspiring people around me, and that I'm making sure that I'm giving patients the highest quality of care. And that really is what my reward is and everything else just comes with it. And so making sure you keep that in mind while you're on this journey, because there's going to be some tough times, some really tough times. And if you're only in it for superficial reasons, it can be very easy to just say, okay, I'm just going to do something easier. So making sure that you realize that your journey may be specialized to you and that the reward that you're looking for may come much later. Okay. Now, 
I did also want to ask as well. You, you did mention I did kind of read up on you. Of course, I did my homework. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but one thing I did notice is that you, you talked about um, people not kind of believing in what you wanted to do or not you specifically, mm -hmm. but just if you're going into a field that's different than what everybody mm -hmm. else does, people not believing or kind of, you know, knowing how to foster your dream, things like that. I think that was very, very inspiring what you said there that talking about, hey, you, you're going to have these type of people, but you have to stay focused on mm -hmm. the, you know, the, the, path, the path or the task in hand. Um, mm -hmm. Now, did you have those type of moments that happened to you that you can remember that kind of uh, still are in the back of your mind as well? Oh, yeah. I mean, historically, women are normally nurses and the majority of women in the United States are nurses. So you would always have a situation to where I'd walk into a room and, and I'm the nurse. And so I'm either handing an item saying, go take care of this or, oh, you must be the nurse, give my medication. And I'm like, okay, well, wait, I'm actually a medical student. So that's actually not my job. Or someone coming to me thinking that I'm a custodial person, because if you look at a lot of the populations of hospital systems, you'll see that the majority of minority you know, employers or employees you know, they are custodial staff, they are EBS staff, they are food service staff. And so people automatically assume, okay, that's what you are as well. And so it would be very hard sometimes because patients wouldn't even believe that I was a medical student or they wouldn't let me, you know, talk to them or, or you know, perform procedures on them because when I have a baby face sometimes, and so they think I'm too young to be doing my job or also because of the color of my skin as well, you know, or sometimes if it's men, they're saying, okay, well, I want a man to do this because you're not qualified because you're a woman. And so there's all these different factors that kind of play into it. You know, even then sometimes just being in the Midwest, me having a, a slight Southern accent, sometimes people think that, you know, I may not be as intelligent as I am. And so because of those things, people often make assumptions about who I am and whether or not I'm qualified to do something instead of just giving me the chance to show that I am. Well, we definitely know with all the schooling you've done, you're definitely qualified, especially if Vanderbilt is accepting you, you're <laughs> definitely qualified. Thank you. So, thank uh, you. So, you know, definitely uh, I want to thank you for your time on the show. But of course, it isn't over yet. Like I mentioned, no. there is a game. It's five oh, questions. Yeah. <laughs> and you got to make one choice. Are you okay. ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Which one did you enjoy more, undergrad or medical school? Ooh, undergrad. <laughs> okay. right. I loved undergrad. Mm -hmm. Now, you did mention the snow and never seen the snow when you went to uh, Cleveland. So mm -hmm. snow or sunshine, which one do you enjoy more? I am from the sunshine state. I'm a Florida girl. I need my sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, I'm pretty sure you went to a few football games where you were at FAMU. So I'm going to say the band <laughs> or the football game. Which one do you enjoy more? I would have to say the band. As a person who wants to be a neurosurgeon, football scares me. <laughs> Seeing all the concussions <laughs> on the field and the CTE, I'm like, oh, my goodness. You know, I also just don't understand football at all. So I just don't watch it. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. All right. I'll let you pass on that one since this is kind of a football show, but you know, hey, you change it up. <laughs> that for is this. true. But, yeah. uh, but uh, let's see. Which one did you would you say you probably enjoy more, surgery or test to assess patients? Mm, I would have to say surgery. Okay. All right. And 
which one brought the most joy or the most feel of emotions match day or your college choice day oh match day match day definitely match day i was in tears for a good while <laughs> after match day so match day now i've got to ask uh you know i saw the video but i didn't see the usual the one thing I, i'm always going to ask about of course you know we, we both from the south so we, we can talk yeah. about this yeah all right now in the church when somebody gets excited you know you see them stomping and moving them around and you know you see the dance break out we didn't <laughs> quite see all of that on the tape now i gotta ask off 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 the tape did we get the shout the dance something oh yes we did once i took those heels off yes we did because i cannot run in heels so that's really that was the determining factor but yes there was shouting there was screaming i had a little praise dance going on is to god be the glory literally that is why i'm here today yeah i definitely had to ask because you know you know with being from the south you know of course I, I, i'm gonna understand what oh, happens, yes. You know. <laughs> oh yeah, yes oh yes all right so we have reached the end of the show i want to thank everyone for tuning in i want to give the floor to you uh i want to again say thank you for coming on thank you for sharing kind of from the beginning to the end of you know where you are now well i would say the beginning to the present not the end <laughs> the end is not nowhere in sight yet because of course right. your future is very very bright so um if you can uh if you uh have places where anyone wants to reach out to you or they can reach out to you or any other information that you want to put out there the floor is yours yes one of the first things i want to say i just want to say thank you to all the people who got me here you know just a just a couple of names you know dr robbie dr haney they were my emeritus deans here at case dr Addison is my current society dean dr crystal tomei at rainbow babies and children dr tiffany hodges she was the first african-american um, female neurosurgeon that i had laid eyes on um, and then Dr. Pablo Racinos and Dr. Varun Kishetri for working with me in the school-based lab. They were amazing mentors, still amazing mentors to me. And I would not be here without any of those people. All right. All right. Now, of course, you know, you didn't mention any social media, but I don't think you really are oh, on yeah. social media I mean, like follow that. follow me on Snapchat. <laughs> <laughs> follow me on Instagram. Um, my handle is royalxpalm47 um, underscore. Uh, my Twitter is just my last name and my first name, so Potter Tamaya. And then also um, something that we're trying to support for African-American uh, medical students in general, something called the MedGrad Wishlist. And what that is, is it's support to allow people to move from medical school to residency, because most of the time, most medical students don't have the funding to do so. And so I have my MedGrad Wishlist. I have a couple items on there that'll help me get into my new house or apartment, whatever I choose to buy um, to get me settled in Nashville. So if you can support me that way, I'd really appreciate it. All right. Then you said, was it Royal? What? How do you? Is it, <laughs> Royal X. It. It's Royal X Palm 47 underscore. It's a mixture of my line name and then my line number. <laughs> now, you see, I got my phone over here. So I'm trying to figure oh this out. Real quick. I'm like, look up over here, trying to figure this out. I'm like, mm. you said Royal. Royal. I'm going to figure this out. And I'm like, Royal, and you said an X, just an X. Yeah, right? X, just an X. Okay. And you said Palm. Mm -hmm. 47 underscore. 47 underscore. Now that is a, a whole name and a half right there on there, but I'm going I'm to leave that alone. It has special alone. meaning. It has special meaning. I know meaning. it does. I know. I'm just giving you a hard time. I'm giving you a hard time. But uh, yeah, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you uh, for accepting my invitation. And of course, uh, a lot of people um, 
probably don't get why I do things like this in terms of March, uh, Women's History Month, and wanting to champion Black women. But of course, I grew up around uh, a lot of my cousins on my mom's side are Black women. Mm -hmm. um, I, I have a wife and a, a nine-year-old daughter, so there you go. So a lot mm -hmm. of women are Black women surround me, so mm -hmm. it would be crazy and foolish for me not to champion them. So right. that's the right. way I feel about it. So thank you all for tuning in. Thank you all for watching Touring the ASC South with your host, Mike Patton. We're out.